It's a blessing to have Miss Joanna be able to, to step in and to uh, stand in for Miss Erin while she's recovering from uh, delivering our first grandson. And so that's always a blessing. Uh, and so hopefully they'll be able to make their emergence within the next couple of weeks here. Uh, and so thank you for those of you that have have reached out. Many have prepared meals and done things of that nature, and that's been a blessing to them. We thank you for that. Uh, Brother Bolognos, you feel free to translate a little bit over there as you need to. I'd hate for them to be to, to have to kind of go through all this and not be able to follow along. And so um, I, th- I think we can handle a little bit about uh, of that. And so uh, Brother Don and Roger are back there anyway, and they generally talk about half- halfway through the message anyhow. So uh, they'll be used to the chatter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so, but but please feel free. I've, I've been many times seated in a service where I didn't, uh, where I struggled to follow along with what was being said. Uh, and it's always it's always a blessing to have someone there that can uh, that can translate. And so uh, that's a blessing. And so when you're the one that's preaching with a translator, I'm not sure if that's a blessing or not. I haven't decided that yet, but I've done that, too. And so it is a challenge. But so if you hear some mumbling over there, you know what's going on. Uh, but as we look at our text this morning, Second Kings is. Uh, and the story of Elisha just in general is an incredible story. And we don't have time, of course, to get into uh, a lot of it in great detail. And the text that we read this morning is really the culmination of, of the text that I really want to preach. Uh, we're going to back up to chapter number four this morning. Uh, and I'm not going to take the time to, to read uh, because of the lateness of the hour. I don't want it to uh, jump in and read uh, these verses. We're going to cover essentially from verse 8 through verse 37 uh, here in chapter number 4. And all of that culminates in chapter number 8. And there's a lot of things that happen in between. Uh, there are a lot of miracles that Elisha performs in between. There are challenges that uh, that arise uh, in his ministry. And we read about a man named Gehazi. Uh, Gehazi is laboring with Elisha in chapter 4. By chapter 8, they've separated because of his uh, lack of, of faithfulness and obedience to what God had given him to do and what Elisha had commanded him to do. But he's there still serving the king and speaking, in this case, uh, on Elisha's behalf. And so in chapter number 4, uh, we have the story of uh, a woman in Shunem that is, uh, wants to be a great blessing to Elisha. Uh, as he moves forward. And in uh, verses 8 through 17, what we see is that she has the opportunity to be kind and to show and extend kindness to Elisha. Elisha is a prophet. He is a prophet that followed Elijah. Uh, He is a prophet that demanded and, and pled with God for a double blessing of what Elijah's power was uh, and he stayed with Elijah, even when Elijah tried to discourage him to uh, go off. And he let the mantle fall, and he was with Elijah when Elijah was caught up into heaven uh, in a chariot of fire. Uh, and thus Elijah is one of two men in the Bible that have never died. Uh, and so Enoch being the other in the book of Genesis. Uh, and so and then Elijah, and Elisha's with him. And so Elisha has a ministry where he is what we would call today an itinerant ministry. He is moving from place to place. He is teaching and preaching. Uh, he is doing the work that God has given him to do. Uh, and this woman in Shunem uh, notices that, that she's on his regular path. 
Uh, in other words, he comes by on a regular basis. And so in verse 8, uh, it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem that there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which patheth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And so she asked her husband, Here's Elisha. He's coming by regularly. We feed him on a regular basis to be a blessing and encouragement to him. Let's build a room onto our house on the wall here, and let's give him a place to sleep, give him a little table and a little uh, stool to sit upon, uh, and let's give him a, a, a lampstand that says a candlestick. Uh, but there, there were no wax candles in the term that we think of them today. It was a, uh, like the lampstand in the Old Testament or the candlestick in, uh, in the holy place. It was, it was actually the filled with oil and let the oil burn. Uh, and so, uh, they, 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 he or she just wants to be kind. She's not looking for anything. She is not making any demands. She is not saying to Elisha uh, that, hey, if you'll stop in here, I'll prepare you a meal and give you a really great rate on this room and place to lodge in this. No, this is all just to be a blessing. She just sees that there's a man who is going about the business of God, that God's call is on his life, and he has a need, and she reaches out to him and says, hey, if you'll stop by here, you, you need not announce that you're coming. Uh, anytime that you're passing by, we have a place for you. Uh, we uh, see that as she extends this kindness to him. Uh, and that kindness, what we're going to see, is going to lead to blessing. Because as we move forward here, uh, that, that when this leads to blessing in the fact that she is a woman who is called here a great woman, but she is also a woman that much of the community would have looked at with disdain and as if God had not blessed her because she had no child. And in this particular point of time, uh, the, if you were a woman who was married and had no children, then it was just assumed that God was not blessing you. You see that all the way back in the book of Genesis, all the way through in the Old Testament. Uh, and so she is, her husband is old, and that comes to light here uh, in, in these verses. And so Elisha begins to want to show uh, his grace or, or his appreciation for what uh, for what she has done and what she has uh, given him. And so he says to Gehazi, they have a conversation uh, and then they talk to the woman, what can we do for you? And she's like, I, I don't want anything. I just wanted to be a blessing to you. And Gehazi notices and says, Elisha, she doesn't have a child. Uh, and so this is a really big deal culturally. Uh, and so uh, the, the Elisha says that in nine months and about the time of life, it says here in the scripture uh, that you are going to have a child. You're going to have a man child, a boy child. Uh, and so uh, this is a miracle because her, the Bible tells us here in the passage, her husband is old. Uh, and so her husband is beyond the age of being able to uh, to naturally conceive a child with his wife here. And so uh, th this is God's moving upon them strictly to show that you have been a blessing. And now because of that, God is going to bless you. And so God puts his hand of blessing upon her and the time passes and as the nine months pass, then a child is born. Now, she tells Elisha when he tells her, you're going to have a child. She says, uh, listen, uh, don't play with me. 
Don't tease me. I haven't asked you for anything. Don't tell me something that's not possible. Don't promise me something that will not happen. Do not put and give me hope for something that I know is physically not possible and humanly is not possible. Don't do that to me. Nine months passes, she has a child. The child grows. All rejoicing. The child gets old enough to go out, and we don't know how old he is, but he gets old enough to go and work out in the field, or at least to go out into the field and see work being done. And he cries out, my head, my head, and he collapses. Her husband has a servant pick up the boy and carry him back to his mother. And she carries him back to the mother, and uh, the mother uh, shows tremendous faith in all of this, uh, but immediately she wants to get to Elisha. And so she commands a servant to get ready a, uh, a wagon or a chariot and uh, to get going, and we're going to go find Elisha. And she says to him, don't spare your driving for me. In other words, don't drive gently because I'm a lady. You just get to him as quickly as we possibly can get to him. She did not take the corpse of her son. Her son died. She left and she just rushed to Elisha. And so her faith here is being tested. But the testing of her faith is going to lead to life. And by the way, in our lives today, and what it leads to is God works in our life. And, uh, and when I titled the sermon, When God is in Control, I realized that God is always in control of the big picture. I understand that. What I'm talking about is when you and I individually allow God to be in control of our life. When we're surrendered to him, when we're submitted to him, when we're willing to say, God, my life is yours and whatever you choose, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, whether it's perceived as good or bad, I am yielded to you. I am surrendered to you. Uh, you work in my life and I will just serve you and accept whatever you bring my way. So her faith is tested in verses 18 through 37 here in chapter number four. And, it's, and, she's, and we're going to get into this in more detail in a moment. And then we come to chapter 8. And Elijah, or Elisha rather, is prophesying that a famine is going to come. And this famine is going to be harsh. It's going to last for seven years. You need to leave and you need to take your child and you need to go somewhere where it's not going to be uh, such a hardship. And so what we have seen up until this point is that her kindness to, uh, to Elisha has led to her blessing. Then her faith is tested and her son is brought back to life. And we don't have time to get into all of the details of his resurrection. But Elisha sends Gehazi and they go through a process and ultimately Elisha goes in and the boy's life is restored miraculously by God. Uh, and they continue to serve the Lord. And so her life is a picture of faithfulness, which leads to guidance. What you see in chapter 8 in the early verses that we read is Elisha comes to her and says, listen, a famine's coming. You need to go and you need to stay there until the famine's over. It's going to last seven years and then you can come back. What is he offering her? He's offering her guidance. He's offering her, hey, you have been kind. God has blessed you. You have been faithful. Now that this difficulty is coming, God has sent me to guide you through this tumultuous time of your life, this difficult days that are coming in your life. And we see that in chapter 8 in verses 1 and 2. Then we see her suffering and heartache again. Her departure 
uh, has that she her experience of the loss of a child and her faithfulness in it. And then her departure from her home has resulted in others occupying her home. And I remember the first time that I went to Matagalpa in Nicaragua and, uh, and they had hired a local to walk the property all uh, multiple times a day because the, the law in Nicaragua is, is that if you can find a spot on someone's land and, and they'll find a place and they'll try to be secretive about it and, and be hidden because if you stay there for uh, a, a relatively short amount of time, then you've got squatter's rights. You have the right to, it becomes yours. And so they have to, the ministry there had to pay uh, men to uh, walk the property and make sure that no one was squatting on the land. And a lot of times if someone had built a, a, a structure there to live in, uh, which is really modest, and, and I don't know too many people here that would live that way, uh, if they, but they live in such a, a shanty type of a structure that if they can stay there long enough, then it becomes theirs. And so they're, 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 they're hovering with that and dealing with that. That's essentially what happens to her property when she goes to the land of the Philistines. Someone comes in, lives in her house, farms her land, uh, deals with uh, uh, those types of things, and now she comes home and she's got to deal uh, with that. And it's where the text that we read this morning in the beginning picks up where she comes in before the king, and the king just wants to hear stories about Elisha. The king just says, hey, uh, Gehazi, you were Elisha's servant. Tell me about the miracles. Tell me about the things that you saw, the things that you witnessed, the things that you experienced. And so while he's telling the king, about this boy that Elisha resurrected from the dead, this woman walks in from the land of the Philistines with the very boy that was raised up. And Gehazi tells the king, and they're acknowledged, and she makes her plea. And as she makes her plea, the king restores everything. He doesn't just say, uh, the squatters have to go and the land is yours. He says, it's all yours and you will have everything that was taken restored. Everything that was grown in your absence restored to you for all of that length of time. All the way back, the blessing and the power of God. And so what we see in this story is that in her kindness to the man of God led to her blessing. Her faith tested led to life in her son uh, and then restoration of life a second time, a rebirth in her son, if you will. And then we saw the faithfulness of her life led to God's guiding her in a time of difficulty and her suffering and heartache and being faithful in that leads eventually to her restoration in chapter eight and verse number six. Now, I'm going to just tell you this morning, there are a lot of things that went on in this life, this woman's life that did not make sense to the human mind. Miraculously conceiving a child doesn't make sense to the human mind. A man, a boy being resurrected from the dead makes no sense to the human mind. Someone knowing that there's going to be a drought for seven years to predict that and to tell me to leave, that doesn't make sense to the human mind. Restoration, when laws, so much as we know, haven't been violated, but restoration all the way back to the day that she left doesn't make sense to the human mind. And what I would say in the lesson here is that when it doesn't make sense to me, it makes perfect sense to God. 
I don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. I don't know what God is planning. I don't know whose life God is working in. I don't know whose path God needs my life to cross. I don't know what I'm experiencing that someone else is going to need me to have experienced so that I can be a blessing and an encouragement to them uh, and help them at some point in the future. All I need to know is that I must trust God. Famine come came. Sojourning came. Loss of property came. And I would just say, when you can't find the good, trust the Lord. Just trust God. There are a lot of times when we go through difficulties and it's hard to see good in it. But if when time passes and when God reveals himself, then God shows himself in a mighty way. Trust him for provision. He provided for them. Trust him for blessing. They were blessed. Trust him in death. Trust him in the famine. Trust him in everything. And never doubt in the dark what you believed in the light. If you believed it when things were good and when you were growing and when it was easy, then there's no, that, that when trouble comes, there's no time to doubt God. He's just as faithful in hardship as he is in times of plenty. Four thoughts this morning. Number one, when God is in control, when I yield myself to God, when I say, God, I, I yield control of my life and I give control to you. Four things I want us to see this morning. First, when God is in control, there will be opportunity. When God is in control, there will be opportunity. In chapter 4, in verses 8 through 11, and we read part of those verses, and we're going to read a few sections of this, but we can't read it all for time's sake. And it's interesting, I perceive in the middle of verse 9 that this is a holy man of God, which pathes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And so he turned in. He had a place to say. My point is this, is that when, we're, when God is in control, there is going to be an opportunity and there will be opportunities in life. And what we see in this woman's life is that God gave her an opportunity to be an encourager. God gave her an opportunity to encourage his servant. I'm just saying this morning that all of us should be actively pursuing and looking for opportunities to present themselves to be an encouragement to someone in the way. To encourage someone that is maybe going through a time of difficulty. To encourage someone that has a need. To encourage someone that's grieving. To encourage someone that's struggling in their Christian faith. To encourage someone and to lift up someone. We're real good at looking at ways to push people down. What we need to be focused on is looking for opportunities to lift people up. I understand taking a stand for righteousness and, and, and standing for truth is important, and, but, but our goal in life, what we ought to be searching for and seeking is the opportunities that God give us to be an encouragement to his people, to be encouragement to lost people that are searching for truth, to be encouragement to someone that perhaps is, is, is trying to find their way uh, from a, 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 a heresy type of a doctrine to actual truth. And it's amazing to me that over the years, God has led us people that have transitioned from ministries that were not biblically sound and has landed them here so that they can learn Bible truth and they've got hunger and they've got zeal and they've got a 
heart to serve God. They've just got a lot of things that have to be learned and some things that have to be untaught. And praise God that God brought them from a point in their life where they where they were mistaught some things, but they yielded themselves and allowed God to be in control. And they found somebody, and many times in this place here, where there was somebody that was willing to be an encouragement to them. Someone that was willing to open the truth of God's Word and to share with them. Someone that was willing to answer questions and to uh, to share Bible truth. There was also an opportunity here for her to be a provider. She provided shelter. She provided not only shelter, but she provided food, nourishment. And we need to be diligently seeking for our opportunities to be a provider to those. I'm not talking about uh, going out and just aimlessly throwing dollars at uh, at nonsensical things or someone that has no desire uh, to do right. And if God puts it in your heart to help a homeless person, that someone that's poor out there, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I'm saying I want to be searching for someone who's actually got a heart for God. And when they show up, I want to provide for them. I'm not saying I want to provide necessarily a roof over their head, though sometimes that may be necessary. I don't, I'm not looking to provide their meals, though they may need some help in that regard. I want to provide, uh, Frankie, some spiritual nourishment for you. I want our church to be a place that comes in and provides you some shelter from this world out there. A place where we can come together in the love of Christ and a place where we can come together and worship our God and a place where we can come together and open our hearts to his word as it's open to us and yield ourselves to him and say, God, I want you to provide for my needs. I need shelter from the things of this world. I need shelter from the heartaches of life. I need shelter uh, and I need provision. I need nourishment for my soul. I need nourishment for my spirit. I need the opportunity to have a place where I can serve you and where I can love you and where I can love God's people. And this woman is just going about her everyday business and she sees a need that this man has as he serves God. And she says, I want to encourage him. And I'm willing to provide shelter and sustenance. We see that it was an opportunity, thirdly, to establish a lifestyle of being a blessing. To establish a lifestyle of being a blessing. I'm not talking about being the kind of a Christian that just goes about and wants to be a blessing here and there. That's not real Christianity. Picking and choosing moments of service is not real, genuine uh, fellowship of Jesus Christ. Real, genuine fellowship, a true, genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to allow God to establish a lifestyle of being a blessing to those that are searching for truth. Say, Pastor, why do you say a lifestyle? Because she established a permanent place for him. She didn't just She didn't just pull an air mattress out of the garage or the attic. She built a permanent dwelling place. More likely, she put pressure on the husband to build it. Yeah, we all understand. I've got a great idea, hon. My list of things to do just got longer. But she's searching and she's establishing a permanent place of life for Elisha. Listen, don't be the kind of Christian that just occasionally decides to be a blessing to someone. 
Seize opportunities as God puts them. Live a lifestyle of being an encourager. Live a lifestyle of providing uh, spiritual sustenance to those that are in need and helping people through. Listen, there are opportunities out there every week. You're going to run across someone this week that needs Jesus Christ, that needs the gospel, that's hungry for him, that's longing for truth, that is searching for someone to care enough to take the time to share with them real faith in Christ. Secondly, this morning, number one, we see that there will be an opportunity in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 4. In verses 12 through 17, we see that there will be offspring. Relationships produce. And in this case, miraculously produce. In verses 12 through 17, give the account of Elisha and Gehazi telling her, you're going to have a child And Elijah said, and he said in verse 15, and call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. There will be offspring. What I'm saying is that whenever we take opportunity, when we seize the opportunity to encourage and to provide and to live a lifestyle of being a blessing, that it is going to produce. It produced, in this case, relationship. It produced a relationship in her having a child. And what I'm saying here this morning is that a normal Christian life that is submitted to God, that is encouraging others, that is walking with Him, is going to be generating relationships. We want to generate relationships. We should be generating positive relationships with lost people to give them the gospel. We should be generating positive relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ that we might encourage them. But we will be generating relationships. Say, so, well, Pastor, it's kind of hard to be positive if this person's always bad mouthing you or the church or this, that, or the other. Listen, sometimes when you enter into a relationship, it's going to require you to rebuke. I have four children, and I love them dearly, and I always have. But there have been plenty of times as they grew up in my home that I had to rebuke them. That's part of being a blessing. It's part of being part of the body of Christ. It's part of exhortation and uh, and uh, and edifying. And it's part of uh, the reason that God puts us in the relationships that he's given us in his church. The offspring of relationship. Here's the, the greatest thing that I see is that it's the offspring of her, her desires. God is giving her here the desires of her heart. God gives her the thing that she thinks the least possible but has the most value. It's amazing to see how God works in our life when we just yield ourselves to him and let him guide us and lead us. There is not anything in my mind that I could imagine that she would desire more than a child. And because of her service and because of her uh, her taking opportunity or seizing the opportunity and taking advantage of it, God gave her offspring. There were relationships that were established and strengthened, and there was a desire of her heart that was given. Thirdly, this morning, we see, first of all, there will be opportunity. Second, there will be offspring. Then we see, thirdly, that there will be opposition. There will be opposition and or oppression. In verses number 18 through 28, 
And we won't read all the way down through 28. We've talked about a good bit of it. Uh, But in verse 18, And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father and to, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. To notice again in verse number 26, Run now, I pray thee, uh, to meet her, uh, Elisha speaking to Gehazi, uh, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. It's not well yet. The boy's still dead. She hasn't shared with him what happened, and he expresses to Gehazi, Go and ask her, because God's hid this from me. God hasn't showed me why she's here. But her response is, it is well. Tremendous faith. What I'm saying is that there will be opposition. We see her son's death and then her response. I'm sure her heart was broken. There's no way that her life was not devastated. But she at this point had faith that she knew that when she confronted God's man, when he said to her, you're going to have a child, and she said to him, essentially, don't lie to me, don't tease me, don't don't give me something and then take it away. Uh, I've, I've accepted my lot in life. I'd rather things be this way than to have hope and then not receive or to receive my child and then have him taken away. But her response to the hardship, the death of her son, is a response of faith. It's a wonderful truth in the power of God when God is in control of our lives that he has not always promised that he will intervene and do the miraculous, but he has always promised that he'll be there and be a comfort and he will guide us through and get glory in our lives, whatever that may be. Three thoughts about this that we see here. There will be opposition. First, we see her faith in verses 23 and 26. It shall be well. We see that that faith leads to action. She had faith before she ever left the house. There's a reason why she put the boy in Elisha's room and on his bed rather than his own. She went to her husband and she just said, give me a young man and a donkey so that we can get to the man of God. And so she has faith, but her faith spawned action. And by the way, faith always produces action. Faith that does not produce action is not faith at all. I can claim to have faith in all kinds of things, but until I'm ready to step out, I have no, I have no faith. God is not interested in Christians that will stand up and, and, and speak a good game. He needs people that will step out into the deep and will do the work that he's called them to do. 
And what we tend to be a lot of times is just comfortable with who and what and where we are. She was comfortable where she was. She was comfortable as a great woman in the community. She had accepted her lot in life with no child. But now that God has moved and now that she has experienced him and now that she has got, had God's uh, working in her life, she has faith that it's going to be well. But that faith drove her to act. When's the last time? in my life, in your life, that we said, I have faith, but we actually acted upon it. So, Pastor, does it have to be some big thing? Well, generally, it's going to kind of start small, but it's an act of faith. And, and just practically, I'm going to look around the room uh, this morning and, uh, and I think about different ones that are here and how God and what God used in your life to bring you here, and uh, how it required an act of faith. And many people in our church were going, I mean, we've got people that, uh, that, that went to uh, uh, churches that I wouldn't even really consider to be a church over the last seven or eight years. And they've landed here somehow. And I listened to their stories about the journey, and I'm thinking, I'm still not really understanding how you got where you are down the path that you've traveled, other than God just working in your life. But you know why God worked in their life? Because they had faith that they acted upon. They had faith that they responded to. When God spoke, they moved. When God showed, they uh, they stepped out. When God said, do this, they actually did it. When uh, it was time to work in their life. And what I'm saying is, is that this woman demonstrated that she not only said she had faith, but she acted upon it. We see thirdly that she did not act foolishly or flippantly, but she acted in prayer. Notice in verses 27 and 28. And when she came to the man of God on the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near and thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And she's pouring out her heart to Elisha. She's acknowledging this is what God has done, and I, I did not understand, and I told you, don't do this to me. Her soul is vexed, but she's crying out. Tell me that she didn't cry out to God all the way to Elisha. She cries out to the representative of God that she has in her life. In faith, save my boy. Do what you said you would do. Act upon the promise. She poured her heart out. I'm just wondering this morning as we examine our own lives and our own heart, when is the last time that we poured our heart out to God? When's the last time that we were burdened enough about a lost family member that we poured our heart out to God for them? When's the last time that we were troubled enough in our spirit about a problem in our life that rather than gripe about it and complain about it and spread rumors about it and gossip about it to anybody that will listen, that we just got alone with God and poured our heart out to him about it? When's the last time that we went to someone that had, and see, and here's the thing, she's got a problem. Who does she go to? She goes to someone that she perceives has a solution to the problem. Instead of going to the servants in the field, her neighbor across town, 
she goes to someone that can solve her problem. Some pretty good advice from a woman who just simply wanted to be a blessing to someone one day. Prayer. So this woman pours her heart out and she experiences again something that she could hardly imagine, though her faith was strong enough that it led her to saddle up and ride. I will say this morning that when God is in control, that there will be opportunity. That when God is in control, there will, will produce offspring. When God is in control, there is going to come opposition. You try to change your life. You try to let God work in your life. You try to serve God. And I promise you there's going to be opposition. Your family's not going to like it. Your, your, your coworkers aren't going to like it. You're going to get sick. You're going to struggle. You're going to have problems. There's going to be uh, old things that flare back up from time to time. Why? Because Satan is not going to let go easily. Live for God. Repent of your sin. Get right with God. Uh, give your heart to Christ and become a child of God and expect opposition along the way. And that leads me to the fourth point this morning, the last point. There will be an overcoming. There will be overcoming. When we live in faith and God is in control, there will be overcoming. Notice verse 29. And he said unto Gehazi, gird thy, thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. He says, listen, you go and you don't get distracted. You stay focused on the task that I've set before you. Don't stop and say hello. Don't stop and receive a greeting. Just go. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Doesn't it sound like what he said to Elijah? I will not leave you. And she is hanging on to him. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. And wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and he waked and he walked into the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she was coming into him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. She took up her son and went out. She took up her son and she got back to business. She got back to being a blessing. She got back to doing what God had given her to do. And I'm just saying that there will be an overcoming when God's in control. We will overcome discouragement. She had to have been discouraged. My child, what, what could be more discouraging? News that a famine's coming, what could be more discouraging? We don't even have time to get into that facet of this this morning, but years later when Elisha comes and says, hey, a famine's coming, go to the land of the Philistines for seven years. Go to the land of the enemy, and God will take care of you there. This is a step of faith. You go into the one people that hate you, and God's going to provide for you. 
And she overcame that discouragement. I would say this morning that when God's in control, we overcome death. Her son was dead. Her son was not in a coma. Her son was dead. He was gone. The soul had departed. And God restored him miraculously. And what I'm saying this morning, you know, the very thing that we may need, if you are are, are someone that's never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your spirit is dead within you. And that whenever you let God have control and whenever you search out the Holy Spirit and God leads you to himself, he will overcome death and give you new life. Christian, when you backslide against God, when you struggle from him, when you fall by the wayside, when you're overcome with discouragement, when you're overcome with anger and bitterness, when you're overcome uh, with uh, with all of the things that we deal with in this life that are just, uh, just the flesh rearing up and taking control, may I say to you this morning that when that happens and your spirit and your walk with God is essentially dead, though the Holy Spirit is still there, that, that God can overcome that backslidden state and restore you to his service. There's an overcoming. We see this morning that not only can we with God and when God is in control, overcome discouragement and overcome death. And listen, I'm not saying this morning that, uh, that we're all going to die. It's, it's part of God's plan. Unless we're here when he returns, it's going to be at some point the will of God for my life on this earth and this flesh to end. God has not failed my family whenever that day comes, but God's grace will be sufficient. Overcoming death doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to die. It means that God's grace is going to lead and guide and be present and be sufficient in the process. In her case, she experienced a miracle. I would say last of all that she overcame doubt. I can't imagine, and you can disagree with me on this if you like, and maybe I'm wrong, but... Though she had great faith, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine that on the journey from the death, dead body of her son till she fell on the ground and grabbed the feet of Elisha, that somewhere along the way she didn't doubt what the outcome was going to be. She said, Pastor, I try to have faith, but sometimes I doubt. It's part of our nature. You had faith enough to act. Do you have faith enough to stay on track? Do you have faith enough to overcome the doubt? Do you have faith enough to suppress the doubt? Look at Jesus and his disciples. Look at Jesus in the New Testament whenever some would come and say, hey, uh, we want to believe. But having Jesus telling the disciples, forgive, forgive till 70 times seven, forgive. Jesus says it's a matter of faith. They said, Lord, we, we believe, help thou our unbelief. We believe, Lord, but we still have some doubts. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. I'm just saying this morning that when we walk with God and when God is in control and when we allow God to have his will and way in our life, that he will help us to overcome the discouragement of life, that he will help us to overcome death, the things that would destroy our faith and our walk with Christ, and to help us to overcome doubt and show himself real and mighty. And when we've seized our opportunity and when we've borne offspring in relationships and when we faced and overcome opposition by faith, then comes God's blessing. 
then God's power is displayed. Her heartache was the mechanism that restored her land. It took going through everything to bring her to a place where she was willing to do what was necessary and where the heart of the king would be touched. I love the verse, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers of water returneth us whithersoever he will. Now I want you to get this picture and we'll, we'll be done this morning. We'll close. She just wants to be a blessing. She's not asking for anything in return. She establishes a lifestyle of blessing. She is blessed. She suffers opposition. She rises up in faith and overcomes. She serves faithfully and God guides her during a time of peril. She leaves. Tell me it wouldn't be discouraging to know that you've abandoned your home and your homeland and others have taken up residence in what is yours. And others are taking advantage of the little bit of crops that are growing on your land. And you fear that all is lost. And how am I going to get this back whenever I come home? How is this going to come to play out? How is this going to come to bear? And the seven years ends and she comes home. And the only hope that she has is the king. She doesn't know the king. She doesn't have access to his throne. She doesn't have a stance of prominence that would cause the king to notice her. But in her obedience and in her service and in her yielding to the guidance of God in her life, even in the midst of Gehazi's failure and sin against Elisha and his dealing with leprosy, as he's essentially fired from being Elisha's servant and then appointed to be an advisor to the king, that while all this is going on and Elisha's doing other miracles and she's away, God is working. In the midst of human failure, God is working it for her good and his glory. Till the moment of her need, when she walks into the king's throne, the king just happened to be looking at Gehazi. Tell me about Elisha. Tell me about the things that Elisha's done. Tell me about the great things that God has done. Elisha floated an axe head? Wow. Elisha took some spoiled food that was poisoning people and purified it, cured it? Wow. Elisha did this and did that. Elisha raised a boy from the dead. Yes, sir, king, Gehazi said. And by the way, the very boy that Elisha raised and the very woman that provided him a place just walked in the back door. King says, come to me. May I say to you this morning that if your heart is heavy and your life is broken and in shambles, or if you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that the king is standing this morning and saying, come to me. 
that if you're far from God and you've, you've tried and you've prayed and you've read and you've wept and you've sought truth and you just can't seem to make a connection, that the king is standing this morning saying, come to me. And he acknowledges the woman. And he stands in awe at the power of God. And he says to his servant, everything that she's lost, everything, her home, her lands, every grain, every grape, every drop will be restored. No matter how we failed, God wants to restore us. No matter how far away we are, God wants to draw us back. No matter how disconnected we feel, God wants to restore the relationship. How, Pastor? I have to surrender my will to his and let him be in control. Hey, listen, this woman wasn't in control. The only thing that she was in control of was giving a blessing to someone in need. That's all she was in control of. She had no control over what God gave her. She had no control over what she feared God took away. She had no control over the restoration of life and the restoration of property. She had no control. But when God is in control, we have everything that God wants us to have, and we become everything that God wants us to be if we'll yield ourselves to him and let him work.